Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Wonderful God. We want to just put our affection towards Jesus. Just, I know we have been, but just, just continually put your affection on Him, on His beautiful face, that He is beautiful. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Father. You are wonderful in so many ways. Lord, we ask you to open up our eyes to see Jesus as he really is. Open up our eyes, Lord, to see his glory forever, Lord. This is the beginning of seeing your glory every day of our life from glory to glory until you come back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help me to share your word and share it in a way that how would I speak if you're in the room? Thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Siri's trying to talk. That was my phone. Now, when we're worshiping, and I think Leon's sang that song, um, him being in the room, and I just started thinking, how would I speak if Jesus was in the room? How do I speak about him? Because, you see, church isn't church unless Jesus is in the room. Do you know that? You actually can't call church church. We're not having church unless Jesus is in the middle of us. Jesus said, if two or more people are gathered in my name, that's the requirement, in his name, then he said, I will be in the midst of you. So you're not having church until Jesus is in the room. You could be doing a lot of things and, you know, a lot of, lot of even speaking and preaching and even singing songs. I mean, I think that the church, you know, I really do believe God is doing something powerful. We spoke about it a few months ago, but, we, you know, the vision for the year is Jesus. And that's done purposefully because we believe, you know, the world's trying to talk about the great reset, the great reset, the great reset. Well, God is on his own great reset and he's reset, resetting the church to Jesus. I really believe that. I believe God is globally, there's so many movements, so many churches. When I, when I watch on YouTube, I go online and I listen to other people preaching. It's all, they're all, the Lord's bringing everyone back to Jesus. He really is. Emphasis about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And you're going to hear it more and more in the next few years, even to the next decade, I believe, until He comes back. See, the reason why the church has been where we're at and we don't know our identity, we don't know our son, that we're sons and daughters and how loved we are, is because we've spoken about a lot of things. And the emphasis, when you read the New Testament, the emphasis, everything is about Jesus. Everything. You can't preach a message and not mention the name of Jesus. But yet we have been, some have gone to church and great self-talk, motivational talk. It might, it might be encouraging, it might be uplifting. But, but sometimes if the gospel wasn't mess, message, um, mentioned or Jesus wasn't, Jesus should be the focal point, not just mentioned. Everything. If you teach on tithing, for example, the whole point of tithing is tithing to the high priest Jesus. Out of our love relationship to Him. So you don't just teach on the principle of tithing and leave relationship out. So everything, if you teach on prosperity, teach on faith. You can't have faith without having faith in His words. In whose words? Jesus' words. Relationship. Everything brings us back to Jesus. Our worship is all going to be around Jesus. Where other times 
sometimes great songwriters, and there's a place to it, but sometimes we hear about their story, their journey in their song. But we've got to hear more about Jesus. And that's what like sometimes a preacher might speak more about themselves than about Jesus. And that's why I was saying, how would I speak if Jesus was actually in the room listening? Because he is. He is. How would you live if Jesus was in your heart all the time? Because he is. The whole purpose of the gospel, the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was to bring us back to himself. Get rid of sin consciousness, which he did through what he did on the cross. Jesus I mean, we don't want to go all the way through because I'm going, to, I'm going to get off track because I want to get to somewhere today. Jesus dying on the cross defeated Satan, stripped Satan of all the authority he had against mankind. Absolutely everything. And he presents you and us, you and I, holy before his presence. And because we're holy, the veil is torn. We can go into the very holy of holies. Because we're holy, our body has been cleansed. Our body is the temple and the Holy Spirit now lives in this physical body. The Holy Spirit... God has made His home in you. That's the gospel. Holy Spirit lives in you. So then we live with Him and for Him everywhere all the time. This is a gathering. But, but you live the same when nobody's watching. We live under the audience of one. So we live unto Him even when there's no one around or nobody watching. It's not a performance. Church isn't a performance. You can have performance. You can have great songs. You can have great this, great message, great everything. But, but is Jesus in the room? And so we're going to, if you've got your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, great apostle, great master builder, and he lays a foundation. He lays something so powerful and he starts with, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. And he goes on to say, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you or I engaged you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Picture what Paul's ministry is all about. He goes, I betrothed you. I presented you and I engaged you to him as a pure virgin. He goes, I'm jealous over you of a godly jealousy because it seems to me that you've got other gods in your heart. In other words, you're not completely devoted to him. And so he says, I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. You know, our whole ministry, your ministry, is to present people to Jesus. Jesus the bridegroom, we're the bride. When Jesus comes back to this earth, it talks about the, bride, uh, the bridegroom coming back to take his bride. And the bride say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The Bible says, let the bride say, come quickly. And what are we we're going to go to? We're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right when it's all over, we are marrying Jesus, the bride, the church. So we present as a pure virgin. Pure, a pure virgin means our heart is, is not in other affections and not other things other than Jesus. Jesus has got our heart. And it says here, that, that's his ministry. He goes, he's presenting the bride to Jesus. It means the, the sheep do not belong to pastors. They belong to Jesus. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So now he's bringing up the first deception. He's bringing up now this word deception is really, really, really powerful. Please remember this word deception because it's going to come up later as well. 
Because when a person or a people are deceived, we don't know we're deceived. That's a whole nature of deception. You don't, and I don't know that I'm deceived when I'm deceived. It's impossible to say, I'm deceived and I know I'm deceived. The moment you know you're deceived, you're no longer deceived. That's the nature of the word deception. So he goes, I'm afraid for you, because in the same way that Satan or the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, and how did he do that? He lied to her about God's integrity. He lied to her about God's faithfulness. Did God really say that you would die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge? Did God really say, or I mean, well, God's kept keeping this from you because if you do eat of it, you will be like God. In other words, he's trying, to, he's trying to taint the character of God and make his word like no effect, as if, no, you can't really believe God. And, and he's doing that to us right now. Do you know that? One of the biggest lies that Satan has against the church and us people of God is that serving God, um, it's hard. Or serving God and loving God is, is, is not, he's not going to have the best for you. He's not going to have the best life for you. He's not going to be better. It's not going to be better than serving yourself. That's a lie. But if I serve myself, I'm going to have a better life than serving God. That's the biggest lie in the world because God's a good God, a loving God, a kind God, a magnificent Father. He wants the absolute best for you. So when we don't believe in the goodness of God, we're not willing to pay the price to crucify the flesh because we think crucifying the flesh is not worth relationship with God. That's a lie because it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And so he's lying all the time. And Paul uses this example with Eve and he says, and he, he actually says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray. What's the whole point of our minds being led astray? The enemy's trying to lead, get our minds to be corrupted. Some translations say our minds have been corrupted from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy does everything he possibly can to get us distracted from our simple devotion to our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't care what he uses. He can even use good things. Ministry, family, like wives, husband. Like he can use good things. He can even use the work of the ministry. But you're serving God. And you get so busy serving God that you miss the whole point. It's actually loving Jesus. First, then you serve God. I've never met a person that's in love with Jesus that doesn't want to serve him. I've never met a person that's fully, passionately in love with Jesus and doesn't say, God, I want to please you. In other words, oh, you love people, I'm going to love people, I'm going to serve them. I never met a person that is not infatuated in love with Jesus, not willing to work for his kingdom. Paul says, I labor more than you all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So he labored and worked way more than everybody else. Please hear my heart. I just think the Lord is bringing us back to this love relationship with Jesus. And that's why everything this year, we're going to do our best as an eldership and as a leadership and as a pastoral team to focus everything back on Jesus. So whatever message, whatever series, whatever we do, we've got to do it in a way that it is all about Him. When you read the Bible everywhere, from new to old, old to new, the Old Testament, New Testament, the whole Bible is all about Him. It all reveals Jesus. Jesus said, you read the Scriptures and you search for them and you don't find me. And the Scriptures speak of me. And he's talking about the Old Testament. How much more the New Testament? It all speaks about Jesus. You read the New Testament, you do the word, just do a word study on Jesus Christ and the word Christ or the word Jesus. And every time you see it, see what, what is around it, the promises, what He's given you, the, everything around it. There's so much. It's all about Him. 
He's the creator. He's a redeemer of our souls. He's a, he forgives our souls. He paid the price for our souls. He's the, he's the creator of the universe. He spoke the universe into existence. God, the, the Bible says God created it through Jesus Christ in the book of Colossians. He's the head of the church. Christ in us. He's in us. The hope of glory. There's just so much. It's all through this. Look what it says. He goes, and the whole point is, I don't want you to be deceived from your pure devotion to Christ. For one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you received a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, of which you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully. In other words, he's basically saying, we, we get distracted when the preaching is another Jesus. It's not the, the Jesus we're supposed to preach about. The focus is on Jesus. So when you're preaching another emphasis, we get, a tra- we get distracted from our love for Christ. And you preach another Jesus, you pre- get another spirit. You get another spirit, you get the wrong gospel. So when I think of anything God's doing in us, it's going to be out of relationship. It's always going to be out of relationship. It's always going to be out of revelation through relationship. In other words, always faith according to your faith. It's not religion. You, you have not come to religion. You've come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And for God so loved the world that He gave the altar call. So some people come out the front to meet or come out to the front for an altar call and they went to the altar call. They answered the altar call. They never met Jesus. The altar call doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. The same way the church isn't the church unless Jesus is in the church. Well, then you don't get saved unless you meet Jesus. If you meet Jesus, He's not just forgiven you of your sins. He brought you from death to life. He raises you from the spiritual death, from death. That's amazing. Just go to the book of Revelations really quickly. You know, the the book of Revelation is not just about the end of the world. Some people read the book of Revelations, and if you filter it through, the book of Revelation is all about the end times. Then guess what? You're going to totally misinterpret the book of Revelations already because you think the book of Revelation is all about the end times. The book of Revelation is, it tells you right at the beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It reveals Jesus. So when you read the book of Revelations, I've got to see Jesus in it. Because it talks about the fall of man. It talks about the creation. It talks about a lot of things. It talks about the end of the world too. But it talks about the glory of Jesus in heaven and the city of Jerusalem. It's all about Jesus. And John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, is a great apostle. He's the one that leaned on Jesus' bosom the Last Supper. And he, he was so close to Jesus that he wrote about himself, I'm the one Jesus loved. So he was really, really close to you, I think. And, and this is at the end of his life. They, they say they tried to boil G, uh, Paul, John. They tried to boil him alive and couldn't die. Tradition says that. Not the Bible, but tradition says that. History says that's what happened. And so they couldn't kill him, and they put him to the island of Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It was a prison for him. He was isolated. They got rid of him. They didn't want him to preach the gospel everywhere he went, so they threw him to this island of Patmos. Apparently it's a beautiful island somewhere in Greece. It's a good punishment, that one. Because he got time to be with God. It's like this pandemic. Everyone got isolated to, isolated to get time with God. And there is a great shaking in the church. If you went to church for your sake, guess what? In these last days, you probably stop going. I watch it online now. You know, just be connected to that spiritual body of Christ. But the Bible, I, I, I don't believe that's a Bible. I really don't. I'll tell you why in a second. Because John... I'm trying to show you how holy he was, how, how close to Jesus he was. Yet when he saw Jesus, he fell down like a dead man. 
And the reason why I want to show is Jesus quickly, because everyone's got a different image of Jesus. Everyone has a different picture of Jesus. Everyone has a different revelation of Jesus. Everyone's at different levels of faith. So when I say Jesus, um, some of us picture the suffering servant, Jesus. Now the suffering servant dying on the cross. I, I, I see Jesus completely different. I see him, I try to see him as he really is right now. And um, before we read this quickly, we have to see this. It's too good to miss. It says in, in, in um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. Boom. Now, because of Jesus, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for us, now we are children of God. One of the greatest revelations you'll ever get is right now, I'm a child of God. Sons and daughters of God. Now, not when we get to heaven. The glory is in you now. God's Spirit lives in you now. I'm not trying to shout. I'm just passionate because I really believe this. It's a revelation we just got to get to actually believe I'm a now. I mean, we think, when I get to heaven, I get my inheritance. No, we got inheritance when the one who paid the price died. The blood, you know, the inheritance happens when the person made the will dies. My father died and my mom died. We got his, their inheritance because they physically died. Jesus is the one who made the covenant. He died. You get your inheritance. Now. Phew. It says, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Who's it talking about? You. We don't know yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. That's phenomenal. If you really believe it. See, sometimes we read the Bible, we don't believe it. And we, we, we sing songs sometimes we don't believe. We sang a song that Jesus is brighter than the sun. I'm coming to see and not just see but believe. He actually is way brighter than the sun. But I believe it, not just, oh, yeah, that's great. It's a symbolic picture. Yeah, very nice. I actually believe if you walked into the room, all of us would fall on the ground as dead. You'd have to touch us to get rid of the fear. Anyways. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. How is He now? He's not the suffering servant. He's full of glory, full of power, full of love, full of joy, full of kindness. Absolutely full. Emanating the presence, the glory of God. But we shall be like Him. I don't know if you missed that one. Philippians tells us that our lowly bodies will be transformed like His glorious body. What the head gets, the body gets. We're the body, He's the head. Remember Christ in us, the hope of glory. We get glorified like Jesus. I mean, that, that's just a side note because I'm not talking about us being glorified. I'm talking about how glorified He actually is. He actually is glorified right now. And so when John sees Him, he gets a vision in the book of Revelation or in the island of Patmos, this really happened. Jesus wanted to give a message to seven churches. Don't know why he didn't just go direct to the pastors, but he, he encounters John, he, he visits John and writes, tells John, write this and send it to the seven churches. And we'll dive straight in to verse 10 of chapter 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. I mean, the first thing Jesus says is write in a book what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, 
and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw, first thing he saw, seven golden lampstands. What are the lampstands? The Bible tells us that the lampstands, right at the end of verse 20, are the seven churches. He turns around to see who's speaking to him, which is Jesus. Turns around, the first thing is recorded that he saw is seven golden lampstands. It's like showing us how dear the church is to God. And, and then, he, then he says, and in the middle of the lampstands, because Jesus is in the middle of the church, wherever two or more people are gathered in my name, I am there. If Jesus isn't there, you're not having church. There's, there's a gathering, there's singing, there might be preaching and all that stuff, but Jesus has to be there. And that's true of us. We need to be doing everything we do for him. I don't just sing a song as I want to feel good. I want to get some goosebumps. Oh, I want to just feel touched. Touch me, Lord. What's that about? That's about you. We're here for him. Worship is more about him than you. It's actually not about you, is it? It's where we get lost to glorify him and show him how worthy he is and holy he is and beautiful he is. And actually, it's my time to minister to him, to bless him, to glorify him. Worship this side of heaven is something we get to do that when you go to heaven, you can't do it in the sense Right now, we're doing it in the, in, the, in the midst of darkness, the midst of demons lying to us, in the midst of our flesh. We're going to give Him glory this way. In a way, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to do that because you're in the glory. There's something that I can give Him now that I can't do when I'm in heaven, and that's worship in the middle of darkness, in the middle of everything's going wrong, but I still lift up your name. In the middle of I just lost my mom, I'm going to still lift up your name. In the middle of I just, this happened, but I'm going to worship you. You won't have that opportunity in heaven. Don't miss it up now. Don't miss it, not mess it, miss it. Don't miss the opportunity. Because I believe you look back and go, God, I wanted to give you more glory if you had an opportunity to come back. should have given you more glory when I was in that realm of darkness, that yuckiness. That praise would have come up before your, pre- your nostrils to minister to Him. That's why we do what we do. So He turns around and He sees, in the middle of the lampstands, the one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to His feet, Girded across his chest was a golden sash. I don't believe it's just a sash made out of gold material. I believe it was actually gold. Personally, that's me. I just believe it's golden sash around him. Speaks, gold always speaks of divinity. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. When snow's glistering, his head and his hair were white. We know later on, it says in verse 16, And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. His face was like the sun. Have you ever looked into the sun? You can't look into the sun more than a few seconds. Jesus' face shines brighter than the sun. And John is experiencing Jesus in all of his glory. And the Bible says John fell down like a dead man. I believe full of fear and shaking. And it says, his eyes were like flames of fire. Now, there weren't physical flames of fire, but I mean, John's trying to describe what he's seeing. And he's saying his eyes were so full of purity and love and holiness. Fire speaks of holiness. It purifies everything. It burns. And so Jesus looks into your eyes. You know, everything about you, he just sees everything and loves you through everything. And, And burns any insecurity, any fear, any anxiety, any sin, any guilt any shame and he loves you through it all burns it all up and he still looks at you with everlasting love 
And he's trying to explain. His eyes were like flames of fire. Like looking into the eyes of Jesus would be like looking into eternity. He knows everything about you and he loves you. While we were yet sinners, think about this. Not even thinking about God, not running after God, not pursuing God, not asking God, not saying we want God. We're sinners. We're living in our own selfishness. Yet Christ died for the ungodly. We gave God the worst man could give him. We spat in the face of Jesus. We did that. Humanity spat. The worst, the filth, the worst part we could give to God. And God gave us his best, his blood. The blood covenant that he made with man and spit connected with blood covenant in his face. And guess who won? Blood. God won us over with his love. We've got to see the price he paid, how willing he was to lay down his life for us. I believe with all my heart, if you're the only person left on this planet, absolutely no one left to have died for, Jesus would have gone that cruel death, lived the 33 years of his perfect, pure life, and died that cruel death, the shame, hung there naked so we could be glorified, so we can be clothed with his glory. He did it for you. He would have done it just for you. We've got to believe that love. When's the last time God kissed you with his love? Because it's not about head knowledge. There's a lot of people just with head knowledge, but don't encounter, don't experience. And when I encounter God, I don't live by my feelings after that. I live out of my knowing he loves me. My revelation knowledge when I have no feelings. When I get up in the morning and I don't feel like reading, I don't feel like spending time with God, I go by my faith and I know He loves me and I know as a son I should spend time with Him. I'm not doing it because I feel, ooh, I feel drawn, I feel, whoa. I'm going to do it regardless how I feel because I live out of my knowing, I live out of my faith, not my feelings. But I do encounter Him. I do experience Him. And I, I let Him love on me. Because I'm, I'm spirit, soul, and body. I'm not a, you, when you get to heaven, you're not going to see a brain. Massive brain. You see a person. And so, in his right hand, he had, he, had, he had held, he held seven stars. The seven stars are the, the messengers of those churches, the pastors. Beautiful. Beautiful. When the, we as pastors should be in his right hand. Intimacy, right hand place of authority too out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when i saw him i fell at his feet like dead like a dead man and he placed this is the first thing he did he placed his right hand on me jesus put his hand on john do not be afraid first thing he said do not be afraid Isn't that beautiful meeting god encountering jesus face to face and he says do not be afraid to john and he would say the same to you and then he, he literally starts to specifically, with great, great detail, give him messages for seven churches. The first church was the church in Ephesus. You know the story. The church of Ephesus is a great, powerful church. Paul planted it. Timothy um, pastored it. And the, the city of Ephesus um, was probably about 400,000 people. But I reckon the church was about 100,000 people. That's my guesstimate. Because we know that they burnt all that black magic books, scrolls, was $50 million worth in our day and age. That's a lot of people. That's not one person getting converted with $50 million worth. $50 million worth of books. That's a lot of people getting converted. They told us the number to show us influence. Plus, the, the, the silversmith, the guys who are making all the idols, 
they were so angry and intimidated and they wanted to kill Paul because no one's buying the idols anymore. So we can see that that's, this church was very impactful, very, very influential. And uh, Jesus' message to them, every time Jesus rep, um, sorry, um, tells, he says here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So every time he reveals himself, it's the very revelation the church needs. He's not going to waste his words. So when he says, this is who I am, sometimes he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Other times he says something else, like, I'm the water of life. Whatever he says, it's the thing that they need. That's how, he, he, that's how he, Jesus reveals himself. It's obvious. He's saying to them, this is who you need. You need the one who holds the stars in his right hand. You need the one who walks among the lamps. That's intimacy. You've lost intimacy. You need this revelation. That's what Jesus is saying to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And he says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. That you, you, in other words, I know that you work hard for me. You labor. You work in ministry. You toil. You persevere through hard times. You're working so hard for me. And he goes, and... I know that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. In other words, you know your doctrine. I'm so good. I'm so glad. Like he's saying, these are good for you. This is great recommendation. You know your doctrine. Excellent. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You know, you caught persecution for my name's sake and have not grown weary. You've held the fort. You're doing well. These are all great things, but I have this against you that you've lo- you've left, not lost. We say we lost our first love. You can't lose your first love. You leave your first love. You make a decision through deception to leave your first love. The thing he had, in other words, you have all these things going for you, powerful church, influential church. It's not about salvation, guys. It's not about salvation. We're not talking about are they saved or not saved. Of course they're saved. We're talking about influence and we're talking about the heart of the, heart of the matter, the heart of the issue, the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross, the whole point of Christ coming to the earth will say we can have a relationship with Him. In other words, you're missing the very reason for me coming, which is a love relationship with me. And He says, remember from where you've fallen. So you have to remember. You have to acknowledge. You have to, you have to know there's a problem. An alcoholic doesn't get set free unless they realize, you know what? I'm an alcoholic. You have to acknowledge the problem. If you've got a problem with oh no, insecure, you've got to first realize, I am insecure. Now that you acknowledge you're insecure, now you've got to get healed and get set free. True? So unless we realize, you know what? I've lost my first love. Jesus says, repent and do the deeds you did at first. The word first love is first and foremost in priority, time and place. To me, that's saying Jesus needs to be first and foremost in my heart. doesn't mean I can't have other things in my heart. It's just that He takes first place. He's my Lord. If He says something, I do it. I'm not in control. He's in control. I'm going to talk really quickly about the things we can look at ourselves if we've lost our first love. The other, there's a lot of correction in these churches. The last one was the, the church of Laodicea. They were a very wealthy church. I think this is the Western church because Jesus corrects them. Again, He reveals Himself as the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. So he's the faithful and true witness. They need to see that God was faithful and the true witness. And he goes, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the people of God. Don't forget that. 
I'm reminding myself, don't forget that, Leo. Okay, because, this is this, this is what Jesus says, because you say, I am rich, this is what the people say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. That's their stance in life. But these are deceived people of God. I am rich, I am wealthy. The Laodicean church was a wealthy city. The city itself was wealthy. They made a lot of wealth with black wool. They imported and trade, traded black wool. And they had this special thing, medicine, that was like an eye salve that healed people's eyes. And they made a lot of money from that. They were wealthy. And so this is what they said about themselves. I am rich. I am healthy. I mean, I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Now, the Western church, to some degree, I have to be honest with this, we're a little bit like that. Because we've got everything. You go to, the West, you go to a third world country, and if, if they come to a church meeting or a gathering or a crusade or something, if, you, if they don't get healed, they don't go to a doctor. They don't have money for chemists, drugs, you know, medicine. If they don't get healed, they stay with their pain. They haven't got an option. They, they cry out to God. They, they, they're desperate. I don't know, just a desperate. It's just a picture of that. But there's a humility. We've got to be careful. that the, It's okay to have things, but don't let the things have you where you take all your joy and happiness out of material things or the comfort comes out of that and satisfaction comes out of material things or wealth or money. But you're saying, don't have this attitude. Look what Jesus says about them, guys. And he said, this is Jesus' view of them. He says, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Their view was, we're okay. We, everything's okay. We're just fine. We need them nothing. So they're looking in the natural and they forgot their passion for Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't even realize the way I view you. You're actually poor, naked. And he actually goes on to say, I advise you to buy from me gold. Why does he say, word, why does he say to use, use the word buy? Gold represents God, always divinity. Why buy? Because you have to pay a price again. You've stopped paying the price. You don't sacrifice anymore. You just live a life of convenience. You just live a life of whatever. If it's comfortable, then do it. If it's not comfortable, ooh. God loves me so much, I'm just going to do that. Western church, in some degrees, don't fast anymore. Fast sometimes. I'm just using that as an example. Please don't hear this out of guilt or out of shame. I'm just trying to share. Because my heart as a shepherd, and I believe this is the heart of Jesus, realistically, it's going to take us as a church probably a good year. just Because it has to come out of revelation, doesn't it? It has to come out of relationship. It has to be real to you. You, you know, some will, will, will get ignited maybe instantly, depending on the teachability of your heart, the willingness to, to bow the knee and say, Jesus, I want all of you. Some will have that experience. But I'm talking about the majority of us and the Western church and God's church worldwide. It's going to come. It's going to be revelation, little by little, revelation from glory to glory, from faith to faith. You have to see Jesus to become like Him. And so God is going to emphasize Jesus in everything we, we have. Every time you read the Word, I want you to see Jesus. Jesus said to this church, buy me gold refined by the fire, burning, sacrifice, persecution, hardships. And He says, so that you may become rich through God's eyes. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. In other words, they were naked. Buy garments. It speaks of the righteous deeds of the saints. It's in the book of Revelations. And that the revealed. And I salve, I salve, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The, script, the Bible says in Psalms, your commandments enlightens my eyes so I can see. So the word is what we apply to our eyes, revelation knowledge, to see again. 
deception is saying, I'm okay, I'm on fire. And I've really run out of time to explain how do we lose our first, how, what are the attributes of first love lost? I'll just mention them really quickly because I, I, I brought us here. The way you know that you still have your first love when nobody and no one captivates your heart like Jesus. No one. What captivates your heart? Your favorite show? Your favorite TV series? Captivates your heart? Some of us were so engrossed to many things and we don't have time for Jesus. Now, there's other things have captivated our hearts, but we, haven't, we, haven't, we don't give Him time. You have to spend time with Jesus to behold Him so He changes you. I'm not saying watching TV is wrong. It could be games for others. It could be sport. It could be your family. I'm saying to my wife, God bless me, my wife, but I can make her, she captivates my heart and I don't give time to Jesus, even though God blessed me with my wife. My children, God bless me with children. I can make them, they captivate my heart. Everything's around my children and Jesus doesn't have my heart anymore. Yet God bless me with my children. Does that make sense? So that's why it has to be out of relationship. It has to be out of revelation. It has to be your own understanding. Because you can make sport the, your God. You can make money. You can make material things. You can make your work. You can make status. Even pleasure. Just pleasure. If it's not pleasurable, I don't want to do it. That becomes your God. Please hear my heart. Jesus said to this church, Laodiceans, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I don't know about you, but that humbles me to think Jesus, the lover of our soul, the most beautiful person you'll ever meet, full of love. You know, the glory that we're talking about, full of magnificence. Yet He's on the outside knocking on the door of the church, His people. The very reason why He died on the cross was so He can live in us. And yet we, the Bible says, anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will sup. Face to face, have dinner. The most intimate place you can be is face to eyeball to eyeball, face to face with Jesus. Number two is time with Him is above everything else. Time with Him is above everything else. If you let everyone, everything else, all the distractions of this world take you away from time with Him, then maybe that's, that's the beginning of losing our first love. By allowing this busyness, distraction. Distraction is designed by the enemy to get us away from our attraction with Him. So we've got to be careful to say, God, when, when two people are in love, they just want to spend time together. Hey, when people are in love, it's crazy, isn't it? They, they, they don't think sane anymore. They, you know, like, they're in love. They're crazy. You know, like, when I first fell in love with Christine, like, I'm on the phone with her and my bill is $600. My, my audio, my phone bill back in the day. Not FaceTime or anything. And she had a $600 bill. I thought, man, I could, I could drive down there and see her. I could catch the coach. I could catch an airplane. $600, because we're talking so much. Always want to be together. Now you've got FaceTime. Fantastic. But you, when you're in love, you want to be with that person, don't you? You just can't wait to be with them. You just want to be together. And that's how it should be with Jesus. Number three, quickly, this is important. His word to you means more than any, any words of any other people. This word means more to you than anything else in this world. That means you'll spend time in this Word because this is a window to my relationship with Him. But the way I crack it open is not intellectual, it's not theological, it's not mental, it's not mind, it's not just studying with my head, but it's actually presence. It's relationship. 
how I get revelation out of this. This is a window. If someone said to me, Lee, I'll give you $100 million under one condition. You never open up a Bible ever again in your life. Never. It wouldn't even tempt me. I don't care how much money you give me. You can give me the whole world. I'm not going to. It's like saying, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you all the money in the world if you leave Jesus. I would never do it. But this is my, people, people spilt their blood for this. You know that. People translated it. People, to, people that put it together. People were burnt at the stake because they translated it in English. All these different things. And we've got it in our hands. I mistimed this message. I went a little bit longer, but please hear my heart. When you're in love, you want to spend time with the one you, you love. And if I meet someone and, and they say, I'm in love with someone and I'm going to get married to them. Really? And I go to their house and I see them and I go to their bedroom and I and see this drawer, and drawer full of letters. And I go, what's the, all these letters? That's from the person I love. Really? Well, why are they all unopened? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't have time to read them. really don't care. What? The person you love wrote all these letters. You didn't even have time to read it. This is a love letter. It's a love letter between the Father and you. We can read it as much as we want. And the last one, His desire means more to you than your own desire. Love um, desires to please the person you love. You just do it when you love someone. Paul, the apostle, said, he who's, he who's unmarried cares about the you know, things of the, the Lord, but he who is married cares about fulfilling the desires of his wife. Why? Because love wants to fulfill the desires of the wife. It's just the way we're created. It's not wrong. I love my wife, so I want to please her. Because that's what love does. And so when we love Jesus, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they're not burdensome, by the way. They're really not. If we believe His commandments are burdensome, then we believe a lie. We're deceived to think obeying God is burdensome. I'd rather be blind, Leo. I'd rather be in darkness and be blind than actually be in the light and see. That's what we're saying. That's how much the devil lies to us. I've got to pay a price. I've got to put my flesh down. Obeying God is the best thing for you. Loving Him. Amen. So we're going to pray. Again, my and our heart and our expectation is... God is steering us, bringing us a great reset back to Jesus. And for some, it'll be instant. For some, it might take a few days. For some, it'll take a few weeks. You know what? For some, but it doesn't mean we're not going there. We're, we're all working towards it. Don't get guilt. Don't get shame. Just say, Lord, I run. And Father, we pray as a family, forgive us if we've allowed ourselves to be distracted. And sometimes we go through seasons, Lord, where we get so distracted. Sometimes even serving you, we get so busy serving you and serving your people that we don't spend time with you. And we can lose that fire or that passion. So, Father, we ask you, whether it's work, whether it's family, our own pleasure, whatever it is, God, Father, we make a decision to come back, to repent, to change our thinking, to change our ways, our perspective. And we say yes to you, Jesus. We come back to you, Lord Jesus. Just acknowledge it. You, you, you're not going to get helped if you don't get if you don't acknowledge. Yes, Lord, I've allowed my heart to get cold. I've allowed my my life or distractions of this world to take me away. So forgive me, Lord. And He forgives you. 
soon as you confess it to Him, go towards Him. We thank You for Your awesome presence. You're so beautiful. Open up our eyes to Your glory, Lord. Open up our eyes to Your glory. listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.